Missing your mojo? Just go to mojo50.com for on-demand podcasts. there and welcome back to the rich solution on mojo 50 radio i'm gwen rich your host your health advocate and founder of the rich solution so right here on mojo 50 radio i talk about empowered health what each one of you can do starting today to not only look but feel and live a healthier happier disease free lifestyle so today's topic is going to be about take charge of your care And before I introduce my returning guests and we talk about this important topic, I need to put the disclaimer out there, which I do for every show. And that's about the information on this show is presented for educational purposes only. So it is not intended as a substitute for a diagnosis, the treatment, or advice of a qualified licensed medical professional. The facts presented are offered as information only, not medical advice, and in no way should anyone infer that we are practicing medicine. So always seek the advice of a medical professional for proper application of this material to any specific situation. So again, today's topic, take charge of your care. A little friendly reminder, NoOodle is the sponsor of the Rich Solutions Studio. Go to NoOodle.com, use hashtag Spoonie, all caps, to get that 10% off. All right, I'm going to actually uh, do a couple more promos because once I get talking with our guest, Dr. Pam Popper here, uh, most of you who are avid listeners know I just get too engrossed in the content and forget to talk about my sponsors. Um, So let me quick... Uh, say a couple shout outs. So during this time, two things. Mojo Five O has partnered with Ramika Designs. And so they've already started past week until I think uh, December 10th with your donation, $25 donation, you will get their Christmas 2021 Christmas ornament. So go check it out. And that's easy by going to mojo50.com forward slash donate. Again, donations of $25 or more will get you a Christmas ornament, 2021. And also go to therichsolution.com. You're going to see what we're doing at this time of year. Uh, and never before, the Gwen Marie Collection, which is the handbags uh, that help raise money for breast cancer research, comforts the cancer community and those who are uh, going through cancer, survive cancer, exactly what we're going to be talking about today. Um, proceeds go to the University of Chicago, but 50% off the handbags. Never, never have had that kind of a discount. Uh, we know what's going on around the country. We do have supplies. They are in stock as we see that many people are going to be struggling with uh, get what they normally do for the Christmas time due to uh, what we've got with shortages. So check it out at therichsolution.com. Certainly, if you have any questions, contact me at contact at therichsolution.com. So go to uh, therichsolution.com and order your handbags. Okay, really important time of year, October. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month and it's important time of year to talk about the most common cancer. Very dear and near to my heart. In 2020, breast cancer was the most diagnosed cancer worldwide with an estimated 2.3 million people affected. It's also the fifth biggest cancer killer, responsible for an estimated 685,000 deaths worldwide in 2020. 
Breast cancer is the most common cancer in the world. And in 2020, over 2.4 million people received a new diagnosis of breast cancer. And so while survival rates for breast cancer have been improving over the last decades, tragically, over 768,000 people still died from breast cancer in 2020 alone. So despite these numbers, thanks to research, we have come a long way. Overall, breast cancer survival has improved dramatically. In 1970s, around 75% of people with cancer would survive five years or more after their diagnosis. Today, that figure is over 90%. In past decades, enormous progress has been made regarding early diagnosis and enhancing breast care patient care leading to reduced morbidity and mortality. So we still have a long way to go to curing cancer, but we each can do our own part and that is prevention and early detection. So today I'm happy to report that we have returning guest, Dr. Pam Popper, who will enlighten us with what is new and how to take charge of your care. So I've been talking about different aspects of this uh, different self-care, but today I look forward to hearing from Dr. Pam Popper and what she has to say. So let me formally introduce you to her. So Pamela Popper, she is president of Wellness Forum Health. She is an internationally recognized expert on nutrition, medicine, and health, and the founder and executive director of Wellness Forum Health. The company provides educational programs, extensive libraries of videos and articles, diet and lifestyle intervention, and assistant to consumers who are interested in regaining and or maintaining optimal health. The company also offers professional development programs for health professionals who want to convert or start a practice focused on health instead of sick care. Through its own network of providers, Wellness Forum Health offers direct to consumer health care services. So Pam has been featured in many widely distributed documentaries, including Processed People and Making a Killing, and appeared in the acclaimed documentary Forks Over Knives, which played in major theaters throughout North America in 2011. She is one of the co-authors of the companion book, which was on the New York Times bestseller list for 66 weeks. She is the author of Food Over Medicine, a conversation that can save your life. Pam is a featured, excuse me, she is featured as the lead expert in food choices, appears in diet fiction, and also in Cold Blue, which was released in early 2020. She is the author of the companion books for food choices and diet fiction. Her newest book is COVID Operation, What Happened, Why It Happened, and What's Next which she co-authored with Shane Prier. Pam is also a lobbyist and public policy expert and continually works towards changing laws that interfere with patients' rights to choose their health provider and method of care. She has testified in front of legislative committees on numerous occasions and has testified three times in front of the USDA's Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee. She is a straight-talking professional who is not afraid to criticize national health organizations, government agencies, medical professionals, pharmaceutical companies, agricultural organizations, and manufacturing companies, many 
of whom have agendas and priorities that interfere with dis, uh, distributing truthful information and promoting public health. So anyone who is interested in health should hear her speak. For some, their lives may depend on what she has to say. So welcome back. Are you there? I'm here, and thank you for having me. I can't believe you read all that. I know. I, <laughs> I have to say, most guests, I shorten it, but mm-hmm. I thought, you know what? You've got so many good things to say. I'm, I'm not going to even bother doing that. So, <laughs> Thank you. Thank oh, you. It's nice to be back. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. So let's start out with, um, for those of you who might not have heard um, Dr. Popper over the last two times, I think this is your third time talking about cancer. I think you maybe this is your fourth time on. So thank you for coming back. I know you have a lot to say on the subject. Um, I'm pretty sure last year you talked about, I think it was your first year about your pledge. Mm-hmm. So uh, how did that go? Um, and are you continuing that pledge? Yes, we actually expanded it this year. And um, so the pledge was, at first we just did it for breast cancer. And the idea was um, to move the focus away from what do you do when you get cancer to what do you do to prevent cancer, okay? Because never having a diagnosis should actually be your goal, right? And um, and so and we asked people to pledge to eat better, drink less alcohol, lose the body fat, reduce the stress, the things that we know can actually reduce your risk down as, about as far as you can, right? And, and reduce your risk a lot. And um, we gave people a $100 gift coupon if they would sign the pledge, which they, they could use toward um, our courses. And if they got 25 other people to sign the pledge, they could have another $100 coupon. And so it motivated people. We have some pretty wonderful courses and and that people like to take them. So that motivated a lot of people. But more than anything, it got people aware of, hey, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I don't want to get breast cancer, so I should focus more on that than funding. Yes, we need to fund uh, research on treatment, all that kind of thing, but we really need to focus on reducing the incidence of cancer. So this year we did something interesting. We included the guys and we did a, a dual, like September is Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. And, the, and that never has had as much attention as breast no. cancer for some reason. So we combined the two and um, we ran the whole camp. We are running the whole campaign for two months. So a couple can both sign their pledges. It's the same commitments. And then they can have more household coupons to be used towards our courses. And we had a lot of men sign the reduce the risk of prostate cancer pledge. Awesome. And, um, and so, uh, you know, I, I want to spend more. I always like to, you know, prevent the disease. You have to treat it if you get it, but let's prevent it. It's always best to not get sick, particularly with the healthcare system in the shape it's in right now. Right. Wonderful. Okay, so obviously it was successful. Can you tell Mm -hmm. us any big surprises or or what I think, what was the biggest positive outcome for doing this challenge? I think just getting people to think more along the line of, of, I need to take better care of myself. And this, I'll, I'll share something with you. This one woman wrote to me and said, listen, I'm going to sign this, but I just have to tell you, I don't really think I have time to do this right now. And she lists all the reasons. (laughs) And I wrote back and I always try to make my responses as respectful as possible because I realize I live in this bubble over here where taking care of myself is part of what I do for a living, right? So it's if you're a CPA with six kids, that's a different story. But I wrote back and I said, listen, with all due respect, I am pretty sure that if you end up with a cancer diagnosis, 
you will find the time for treatment. No, but I have never heard anybody say ever. I've been in this business 27 years. You probably have never heard this either. Well, I got a cancer diagnosis and under normal circumstances, I do something about it. But, you know, I got kids playing soccer and all this. stuff. (laughs) Just no time. Right. People will do any. They drop everything. Right. So if you would drop everything to get treatment, why don't you rearrange a few things to prevent the disease? Right. And uh, she wrote back, she said, I never thought about it that way. And that's the problem. We have too much focus on eat, drink, and be merry. And then hoping that the medical system has a rescue plan for whatever happens to you. And we don't. I mean, the, the reality is, if you take a look at, if you if you dice and slice the breast cancer data um, even more, all right, what you find out is that we're treating a lot of people who really don't have cancer. Ductal carcinoma in situ isn't really cancer. It's a warning sign for cancer. That's the way it should be treated. But, but people who are diagnosed, women who are diagnosed with stage three and stage four cancer, we have not done much to improve the survival rate. And then the, and the issue, the message in that, we can make it a positive one instead of a negative one by saying it's a highly preventable disease. There are places in the world where there isn't very much breast cancer. So, so what would really be horrible is if you and I were having this conversation and saying breast cancer is so mysterious, we just don't know why people get it, right? So therefore, the best we can do is hope that we improve treatment. That's just not true. We have to improve treatment. We do need to do that. But we really need to get the word out that this is a highly preventable disease and you can reduce your risk an enormous amount. You don't see a lot of breast cancer in Okinawa. You don't see it in places like the Blue Zone. So let's emulate their lifestyles and reduce the risk. And that's a message we really need to get out to people. Right. Yeah, it is. I mean, we're both in our own little bubbles um, when it comes to health and health or self-care, I should say. It is amazing how much people, they, they don't think to take the time for prevention. And like you said, they do have the time, you know, if you've got to have a procedure or you've got chemo treatment or whatever, but what about just taking the time beforehand? I mean, I've always been into prevention. I don't know if you have been, so I understand that. Doesn't mean I do a hundred percent of what I should be doing, Um, but we need more people to think that way. And I don't know as humans why we don't. You know, the hardest thing is getting started. And I'm going to tell you a funny story and how it relates to this, okay? So once people start something, they invariably say, it's not as hard as I thought it was going to be. You hear that all the time. You know, people will come to our hot yoga class and they'll go, well, it was hard, but not as bad as I thought it would be, right? (laughs) So um, I live in a house that's 30-some years old, 32 years old. I've lived here for a long time, the longest I've ever lived anywhere. And I've been doing things to fix it up. And so far, the things I've been doing are minor and a lot outside because the weather's so good, right? So I decided I've got a, a ginormous family room in the back of the house. It's huge. And it's got sky. It's a beautiful room, but it needs to be rehabbed. And I've been putting it off because I've been telling myself, oh, I got to find it. I'm going to have to have the old couches hauled away and that old cabinet hauled away. So I got to call the people to do that. And then I'm going to have to move all the stuff out. I'm going to have to box. You know how you tell yourself, right. it's going to be so much, right? Right, right. Well, you know, Saturday morning last week, I got up and I decided, you know what? I'm not putting this off anymore. So I called 1-800-GOT-JUNK. They were here in a half hour. I got not rid of not only all the stuff out of that room, but the basement too. And I had my person hired to come paint. I had everything boxed up by Saturday night. It was not a big deal. I have like three more things to move before she comes tomorrow and starts prepping the walls and all that kind of thing. And then you stand there in the kitchen and you look at the room and you go, 
why exactly did I put this off for so long? Because right. it really was not all that cataclysmic. And I don't even mind the room being empty. I'm kind of getting to visualize what I'm going to do with it when it's empty. Well, it's the same thing with diet and lifestyle change. All right. You start thinking to yourself, well, you know, I'd have to clean out my pantry. I got to learn. I got to buy new cookbooks. I'm going to have to learn how to cook. And and you go all through the reasons why this can be so hard. And so maybe, you know, I can't do it right now, but I'll tell you after we get finished with Halloween or after we get this thing out of the way, whatever this thing is. Right. And so there isn't any ideal time to do something that needs to be done. And if you keep postponing it, you know, I think what I was doing is I was waiting to do my family room when there was nothing else going on. Nothing else to do. Like I was going to wake up some morning and there's nothing on the schedule. I'm nothing. To, I'm sitting here going, what the heck am I going to do with myself today? Nothing. Okay. What is the likelihood that adult humans living in the United States of America will wake up one day with nothing to do? Right. right. So, so my message about all this is just do it for crying out loud. Right. And and even if it takes you a while, you know, the, the, the clearing out of the family room could have taken a week. It still would be okay. It could have taken a month. Still okay, right? We're, right? we're starting down the process. So just get started for crying out loud. Yes, great message. Yes, we can all learn from that. I want to actually go back to what you just said um, about prevention and early detection. You said something about people are getting a diagnosis and it's not really a diagnosis. Um, yeah. Can you go over that? Is that when you're talking about stage zero or one with breast cancer? Yeah. Yeah, we we have there's this is data that never gets any attention and um, and the and the, the focus on early detection we we have one early detection test that really reduces the risk of cancer and that's Pap testing, and unfortunately we see less of that going on right now because of the HPV vaccine which is an unfortunate byproduct. But having said that, that one really works and in every country where we do Pap testing, it's been introduced. The, the uh, cervical cancer death rate just plummets and quickly, right? In the breast cancer business, the, the problem is that mammography is a pretty imperfect uh, screening tool. And it tends to uh, miss what we call interval cancers. These are the ones that grow in between and um, in between mammograms and they grow quickly. So you're not getting them early, they're aggressive. And, um, and then it picks up a lot of not cancer abnormalities that you'd probably be better off not knowing about. And before mammography was a standard screening tool, uh, there were some studies done. There's a group in Tennessee that were involved in this and another one in Rome where they looked at what is the, if you have ductal carcinoma in situ, stage zero or one, and it's contained, and situ means it's contained, all right? What is the likelihood that it's going to turn into cancer over a 10 to 20 year period of time? And it's someplace around 12% on average. So um, even Laura Essman, who's one of the most prominent breast cancer surgeons in the world in San Francisco says, We've got to differentiate between risks of cancer, risks for cancer, and cancer. And, um, and this is very important because we don't want to overtreat people. Having surgery for not cancer is a bad idea. Radiation for not cancer is a bad idea. And we've gotten more and more aggressive about that. Um, and in the meantime, that takes a lot of resources away from people, women who really do have cancer. And um, so over-treatment is a real downside of, um, of uh, mammography because it does not, you know, you, I think the, the statistics are that you, you run three to 10 times higher risk of being harmed than helped 
uh, saved by a mammogram. So we need better screening tools if we're going to promote screening, and we also need a much more reasonable approach to what we find. There's another thing, too, that I want to mention, and the thyroid uh, cancer folks have already done this, is when you call something cancer, people just, it's your stuff, your whole mind blows. I mean, your emotional charge is up. And and so, and, and Esserman, uh, Laura Esserman talks about this too in her writings that um, we need to think of some new terms. And so thyroid cancer, you know, we haven't done much for the death rate of thyroid cancer, just diagnosing a lot of stuff. And they're finding abnormalities that aren't cancer and they change the name of it. Now patients hear this new name for this particular type of, uh, used to be referred to as cancer, and they go, oh, okay, whatever. It's like when you find out, you know, you have a rash. You don't get all concerned about a rash, but you find out the rash is cancer, oh my gosh, right? You know, the, the whole emotional charge is different. So we need different terminology. We need different approaches to how we're going to handle this because we're over-treating a lot of women. And that is one of the reasons why the survival rate seems to have gotten better. If you take a lot of women who don't have cancer and you treat them as if they do, they bump up the survival rate without ever really doing anything for the women who have cancer, actually have cancer. We have not helped that very much at all. Right. And there's a lot we could be doing that would make a difference there. Right. And so do you have anything that you're thinking of specifically that we could be doing? Well, I think the first thing is is looking at the risk factors. You know, one, one that I'm talking about a lot right now, I put out an article on the association between alcohol and breast cancer. Okay and alcohol and cancer in general. But we'll, we'll talk about breast cancer more because that's subject of our discussion right here. Um, you know, alcohol as a treat is fine. I'm, a, I'm not a teetotaler. I like wine, I collect it. But I understand that it's not for dinner every night and it's not to have every weekend. It's to have for special occasions. So I have a birthday this month. It's kind of a big one. So I'll probably have something pretty fabulous and expensive, right? I deserve it, right? Right. So um, so that's one thing. But this idea that every night I sit down for dinner and the glass of wine is at the table, this is a really bad habit. And in a dose-dependent manner, it increases your risk of cancer. So um, because we're doing breast cancer and prostate cancer awareness months, plural, this time, I put this article in my newsletter last week or the week before I lose track of time. Anyway, people wrote back and said, you know, during this whole pandemic thing, I just got in a bad habit. It started with more on the weekends and then it uh, filtered into the weekdays. And the next thing you know, I'm having a glass of wine every day. And then it's two glasses of wine every day. Thanks for the wake up call. I guess I didn't really realize what I was doing. And I think I gained weight because of it. And weight gain is a risk factor for cancer. So um, so that's one thing that we can we can do is we can, we can really focus on limiting alcohol. It's a treat. It's not for dinner every night. Um, and, and by the way, this goes into that when we start talking about dietary modifications, lifestyle modifications, most breast cancer patients do not focus enough. They're not told to by their doctors who focus on treatment. They don't say, listen, you need to take off some weight. Body fat itself is a risk factor because most breast cancers are estrogen receptor positive and your fat cells pump out hormones converted to estrogen in the bloodstream by an enzyme called aromatase. That's why they use aromatase inhibitors after you got uh, diagnosed with breast cancer. So if, if women took that took that to heart, we'd see better survival, uh, taking care of themselves in meaningful ways. And to that point, this morning in our newspaper was an article about a woman who's in a pretty prominent position who has stage four breast cancer. And she, I can tell by the picture, she weighs 300 pounds. Oy. 
And, um, and, and I'm pretty sure her doctors are not saying, you've got to lean down. In fact, what they'll often say is you've got to eat you know, while you're going through chemotherapy, what this woman needs to do is not eat. She needs to lean down and that will increase her survival odds a lot. So that's one area where we could do a lot better. And I think the other is more nuanced treatments. You know, the best success stories that I have seen over the 27 years I've been in this business have been people that take the best of conventional care and the best of alternative care and put them together. And um, and you really have to do that on your own because your local university medical center isn't gonna help you do that. Absolutely, and that's what I'm doing and that's what I like to talk about. Um, yeah, so getting back to, to what you said, I'll go in more in depth. I've got questions for you already planned out uh, with regards to um, alcohol. Um, but I think good points too, because I'll talk about that on the air about alcohol being a known risk factor. And everybody's like, oh yeah, well, sorry, you're not gonna get me to stop drinking my two glasses of wine a night or, or whatever they have. They look mm-hmm. at us like we've got three heads, like we're crazy. Um, mm-hmm. I think our society is just, gotten used to this overabundance, mm-hmm. not only alcohol, but food. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. it, we can't sustain that. We can't even, I, I know I'm kind of going off tangent, yes and no. When I see these commercials with people who are diabetic, type two or whatever, type one, and now they have that um, screening on your phone where you can see what your, your glucose number is. And if it's not so high, well, okay, I can go ahead in that restaurant and have what I'm not supposed to really have. Or maybe mm-hmm. it's a little high and I won't have it, where instead people have to really know that, no, there are things that you can't eat. Mm-hmm. Do you right. want to have good health? We we right. can't eat our cake and have it too. That's well, just the I fact. One of the things that I try to do is just ask or, or make provocative statements to get people thinking. And one thing that I will say, um, I have never had anybody in 27 years talk to me about cancer and say this. Well, I know that um, I've got this breast cancer and it's bad and, and, uh, you know, I'm stage three and I might not live, but it was so worth it eating cheese all these years. I mean, if I had to do it all over again, I'd still eat cheese because that was so enjoyable. You know, none of all the things as people, you know, get diagnosed with cancer and uh, many of them have a clue these days. That's one good thing the internet's done is it's raised awareness about a lot of things. So people get online, they start looking, they find you, they find me, they find other people and they find out, my gosh, you know, HRT does increase the risk of cancer. Dairy intake can increase the risk. And, And nobody ever thinks it's worth it. They almost invariably say, if I'd known, I wouldn't have done that. Um, and, and I'm stopping now. Okay. I'm, I, the last cheese has gone into my mouth and I'm surely not going to be drinking every night with dinner and, um, and, and so on and so on. So most people do not think that the value proposition of eat, drink and be merry and deal with a cancer diagnosis that might end your life before your full lifespan is a good one. They don't see it that way in retrospect. Right. Right. I would agree with that. Very good point. All right, so let's do this. Let's give you a, yourself a break. Let me take one minute to talk about our sponsor, and that's No Oodle. When we come back, I want you to talk, um, you know, you wrote a new book, but I want you to talk about COVID and and how it's affected us from the 2020 and how we're doing um, in 2021 when it comes to, you know, cancer diagnosis, breast cancer, um, because it certainly did affect us in 2020, and I want to see more of an update for this year. 
Um, so, okay, No Oodle is the sponsor of the Rich Solutions Studio. Um, it has been for a couple of years. It's such a great fit because we're talking about lifestyle changes here, and we know they can be hard. But as Dr. Pomper said, they're not as hard as you think they are. And that's what people say as well when they start to use No Oodle. It's a healthsome, satisfying um, food that can you know, take the place of something that's not quite so healthy in your diet. We can all think of things that we can swap out. In fact, you know, most of us, it's getting close to lunchtime and you're thinking about what to have for lunch. You know, there was probably maybe something at breakfast that you couldn't even swap out. And that is what No Oodle is all about. It's 97% water, 3% plant, six grams of fiber per serving. So very nutritious. That 3% plant is from the kanja plant. So we're talking about gluten-free, dairy-free, fat-free, and soy-free. And it's one point on Weight Watchers. And so you can go to nooodle.com, check out the testimonials. She's got them for people who's reversed type 2 diabetes, people who've lost hundreds of pounds, people who are obese and people who've lost a lot of weight because they're overweight. This is an epidemic in our country, both type 2 diabetes as well as obesity. So check it out, nooodle.com. Use hashtag Spoonie, all caps, S-P-O-O-N-Y, all caps, to get that 10% off. All right, so welcome back to The Rich Solution. We've got Dr. Pam Popper here. Always a pleasure to have her. She's got always great insight. She's always in the know. She's got a good take, and she can certainly talk to us so that we can understand it, walk away with a good number of takeaways. Uh, so we can get started today. So let's go back to COVID. You are, you know, I would say definitely an expert in this little niche. Um, tell us wh- how 2021 is going on. What Do we have to worry about anything? Are we getting back to normal as far as women getting their tests, their mammograms, their diagnosis? What can you tell us? Well, I'll have an interesting response to that. What happened is that um, people got pretty disconnected from the healthcare system. And it was the best thing ever. Um, in in some areas, uh, for example, not showing up for the mammogram is a good idea because of the fact that the, the risks and benefits are not clearly understood, and um, um, this we we have we are not reducing the risk of breast of dying of breast cancer. I mean, that's the reason you have a screening test is it reduces the risk of dying of something. All right, the death rate has to go down because all the treatment in the world doesn't make any difference if you're going to die at the same time anyway. So I'm going to be 65 in a couple of weeks. I want to live to be 100. So if I'm going to have an intervention in my mind. It needs to be because it helps me live to 100, not because I'm going to die at 70 anyway. I'm just going to die it while I'm getting cared for, you know, while I'm getting into this care. So people got disconnected from the healthcare system. All the well baby visits stopped and all that sort of thing. And people started writing to me saying, I can't believe this. My mother had Alzheimer's disease. We couldn't get a doctor's appointment to save our life. So we just took her off all the meds and she's back to being clear again, you know. Oh, my God. Um, so... So uh, it hasn't all been bad. And I'll tell you the other thing that's happened is that, you know, I've been in the healthcare business for 27 years promoting um, informed medical decision-making. Okay, look into things. Well, the distrust of the medical system after this debacle is so high that I've actually had people say, listen, if I fell on the sidewalk and my head was bleeding and I couldn't fix it myself, I might go to see a doctor or a hospital. But other than that, I'm not going near the place. And and that might be a little bit extreme, but someplace between that 
and incessant appointments with doctors and disease mongering and sucking people into the medical mill. And this, this mirage or this illusion that hanging out with doctors is your ticket to health. Hanging out at the produce section is your ticket to health. <laughs> right. Hanging out at the farmer's market and the gym and the yoga studio and reading a book on the couch and getting a good night's sleep and drinking water, that's your ticket to health, all right? So we have a better opportunity than ever to capitalize on this distrust of the medical system because that's what I've been basically saying. And, and by the way, this, is, this doesn't have to be a hit on anything. I mean, what, you know, I, I use analogies to teach things. I like my landlord. I think he's been very good to us and he keeps a runs a tight ship in our complex and everything else. But when I renewed my lease, I did this crazy thing. I sat down and read the document before I signed it. It was a million dollars I committed to, right? So so nobody would say to me, Well, you must not trust Brad. You don't like Brad. I like Brad just fine. But before I sign my name to a million dollars, I'm gonna read what it is that he's asking me to sign, right? So if you can just look at healthcare the same same way. Why don't you take the same amount of time to look into things before you do them as you do when you're signing a lease or releasing a car or buying a house or looking at a retirement account, all the other important things you do in your life. And I think that that message is resonating more. I know that we have been busier than we've ever been. We have more healthcare professionals who want to learn how to be in our end of healthcare. So all in all, it's been a painful year and a half, but I think some good things can come out of it if we choose to focus on the good things that can come out of it. And then we'll worry about making the criminals pay for what they did later on right that definitely has to be taken care of um all right that's a great point um seriously and but i'm sure there's a lot of people who you know they didn't know about you they don't know about you or they they are not even in any beginning stages to really look into self-care and how to take care of themselves and they've become overwhelmed and stressed and and they're in a whole nother category Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm certainly glad to hear that people have found you and there's a certain segment of the population that is starting to get it and is starting to resonate with self-care and, and what we all need to do. Um, can you tell us anything, you know, with your work with COVID? I mean, I do know that less women or, and people in general were diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like that's kind of catching up, uh, good or bad thing? I think it's a good thing. Because diagnosing cancer is a good thing if it leads to survival. Gotcha. But but you know we here's the thing we started all this thyroid screening, thyroid cancer screening that that became the new thing a a few years ago, and at the time that this all started about ten years ago, sixteen hundred people a year died of thyroid cancer in the United States. Now we're screening people, we're diagnosing almost one hundred percent of everybody has a thyroid nodule or two or nine by the time you're my age. So we're calling that thyroid cancer. And you know how many people are dying now of thyroid cancer? About 1,600 a year. Okay, so what we're doing is we're diagnosing, 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 scaring the hell out of people, treating, 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 and it doesn't change anything, okay? So to the extent that everybody just got disconnected from it all, and sometimes you need a break from something to realize how toxic it really was. Right. uh, And to think about things, a pause to think about things. And by the way, I don't think that the medical system realized when it became complicit in this whole mess that they were actually going to self-destruct, which isn't that always the case with people who are doing wrong things. They sooner or later uh, bury themselves. My father used to have an interesting saying when he was uh, when he was in business. He said, he used to tell me just to leave stuff alone sometimes. 
He goes, I'll tell you what, Pam, if you leave some people alone long enough, they'll screw themselves right into the ground while you watch. <laughs> and that's sort of what I've seen here. Right. You know, the, and and I'm, I'm still reading like on news feeds, medical news feeds that I get that people are saying we can't get people to come in to see the doctor. Well, I, you know, someplace between I'm never going back and I'll go when I need to or, you know, incessant visits is where, where we want to be. I'll go when I need to. And, and this is I want to go back to when I was a kid. I'm six. I'm going to be 65. So when I was a kid, we had a family doctor. All right. The family doctor took care of my sister and I and my parents and my uncle and aunt and five cousins and my maternal grandparents who live nearby. Family doctor. All right. Here's when we went to the family doctor when somebody was sick. When somebody had symptoms, all right, we didn't go hang out with this guy every three months. If somebody had suggested to my mother to take a perfectly healthy six-month infant to a doctor, she would have said, "Why? Why would you do that?" All right, what 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 is this well baby this and well child that and the whole nine yards? And if and if somebody had suggested to my parents that I needed a uh, some type of physical exam in order to play sports, they would have said, "What the heck is that?" All right. There's nothing wrong with her. Look at this kid, right? Growing like a weed, skinny as a rail, can't get enough food in her, and uh, and energy for 16 people. Why would I take this kid to a doctor? Okay, so so what's happened is that we're disconnecting people from this incessant hanging out with doctors, which they confuse with health. Right. They confuse that with health. But you know what? The more you hang out with them, the sicker you get. And a guy by the name of Robert Abramovitz, I think is his last name, he wrote a book called Risky Business. He's a medical doctor. And he said, he talks about this, and he makes a very strong case for it, very well-referenced strong case for it. We studied it in our uh, health book club that is part of my thing that I do. And, and he said, you know, what happened is all this hanging out with doctors, we got to the place where we're treating risk factors as if it's the disease, back to doctoral carcinoma in situ. Uh, for example, all right. So it's a risk factor for a disease is different than a disease. And we're also treating normal markers of aging, like, you know, loss of bone mineral density is we all lose bone mineral density as we age. It's not a, it doesn't need treatment. You can't treat aging, darn it. Because if we could treat aging, we'd live forever. I'd love that. Right. So anyway, um, the, the disconnection from medicine is causing people to take a different view of health, just getting enough away from it um, that they're saying, I don't think I benefited much from hanging out with these people all the time and um, I'm not gonna do it anymore. So I would say more good than bad came out of this. And um, I think that the medical profession is becoming a little apoplectic about it because they had a pretty good cash cow with all this hanging around with doctors before this happened. Right, right. Okay. So in that little um, little blurb that you just said, which uh, is very insightful, you went back to the known risk factors. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go back to alcohol. Alcohol, mm -hmm. we know, is a known risk factor. And so almost every time I do a show on it or I'm talking to someone one-on-one, -on -one, they're like, why alcohol? Why is alcohol a known risk factor? I mean, I know it's a neurotoxin. Your body doesn't want it in your body. But for more than that, can you explain why it is a known risk factor? Well, as to the point for breast cancer, it increases your estrogen levels. Um, and, and it's empty calories. You know, and, and there's nothing the matter with some empty calories. Let's go back to birthdays. I'm not only going to have a glass of wine, I'm going to have cake yeah, yeah. for sure. Right. Right? If there's no cake, I'm going to be pretty angry at my friends, right? So so that's that's one thing. But but on a, on a given day, you know, I wrote a book called Food Over Medicine, which you mentioned. If you're going to use food as medicine, you have to take the prescription several times a day, right? 
You can't take placebo pills, as it were. All right, so however many calories, let's take a person who, who uh, takes in 2,000 calories a day. You know, there's three categories of food, or one way to categorize is to say there's food that's harmful, okay? And particularly if I have too much of it, all right? Oil, dairy products, that sort of thing. Then you've got stuff in the middle, no harm, no foul. Nobody's ever died of crackers. Nobody's ever died of pretzels, right? But, but pretzels don't build a strong body. Then you got the food as medicine. So we can just get people to go to the grocery store and the farmer's market and say, there's a class of drugs called leafy greens. I got to get some of those. There's a class of drugs called cruciferous vegetables. There's a class of drugs called root vegetables, potatoes and beets and carrots and that sort of thing. There's a class of drugs called whole grains and legumes. Okay, so if we can look at that like the drugstore, and I'm going to use food as medicine, I got to take the medicine four to six times a day. All right. And if I start substituting cake for medicine, I can't expect to get the benefits of food as medicine. So so we try we, we've never te- taught dietary perfection. It doesn't work. People can't stick with it. So if you look at our food pyramid way at the top, you can hardly read it. You got to get really close to the paper to right. see it. Right. Right. Treats at the top, right? For holidays and special occasions. And then you focus on drinking enough water every day, using beans and rice and whole grains and legumes and potatoes and squashes. I just baked two butternut squashes this morning. I'm going to have butternut squash soup. Uh, well, butternut squash for lunch, squash soup for dinner. You know, eat that stuff with a lot of fruits and vegetables. That's the medicine. All right. right. And then the other stuff is treats. And and um, boy, if we could just get people looking at that, you can drug yourself every day in the kitchen right. uh, with good stuff. Right. That's where the prevention is. Absolutely. No, uh, to your butternut squash or squash, we're having what? Uh, oh, no. Well, I'm going to get it wrong. Squash. Um Spaghetti. What's that called? Mm-hmm. Don't, I'm spaghetti like, squash. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is squash season too. You go. I I, I got these two um, uh, squash from a farmer, and it, and you can tell the difference. Like when you buy the stuff in the store, like frozen butternut squash and everything, it doesn't have this deep orange color. Like when I cut it in half to put it put it on the baking uh, sheet. I just looked at it, it's just the brightest orange and it's so appealing. And, um, and boy, just some squash and rice and, and uh, fresh ground pepper, it's the best thing mm, ever. You sounds know? really good. Uh, simple foods and they taste great. And uh, and if you, by the way, there's no special food you have to eat. If you're listening to me talk about squash and thinking I'd rather just starve than eat that, then pick the things that, that you love. You know, everybody, there's no rule that you have to eat squash or kale anything from these plant categories will work just fine. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's over 400 different choices when it comes to produce. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's a handful of things you don't like, but look at all the things that you do like or possibly could like. there's only a handful of things you like, this is another myth that I like to dispel all the time is, oh, you have to eat a variety of foods. Well, I enjoy the variety of foods and, and I'm, um, I'm always trying something new. I, I bought a new kind of melon. Um, I never had a canary melon before and I bought one from this farmer I buy stuff from. It was great. I'll definitely eat that again. But some people really have a limited palate. And so if you only like eight or 10 foods, that's all you want to eat. 
then eat those. All right. I mean, most people in the world who are eating, who are living to be you know, much longer lifespans than ours, like the Okinawans, they eat a very limited diet because there isn't any grocery store with 44,000 things in it. They're eating locally grown stuff. It's seasonal. They don't have the luxury of variety and variety is actually a luxury, not a requirement. So, um, so even people with a limited palate and, and some people will say, I, I really am on the same page as you, but you don't understand. I don't, I don't like plants. And I'll say, would you like potatoes? Oh, I love potatoes. And would you eat them baked? Oh, yeah, I like that. Do you like bananas? Do you like apples? Do you like rice? Do you like corn, peas, green beans? The people who swear that they can't do this because they don't, we can come up with 20 things that they want to eat. Okay, well, let's put together a menu plan with that. And I do this with the health professionals we train. I make them come up with menu plans for people who have limited palate and they shock themselves. They go, I can't believe this person only likes nine foods and they could actually have a pretty good diet. Like I wouldn't mind eating this way. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of times it's it's reframing uh, not only your thoughts, but your actions uh, to produce a better outcome. So, yeah. All right. So let me ask you this too. Um, This is one I always forget when I've got doctors on. Um, You mentioned dairy. Mm -hmm. Dairy is this one thing that's very controversial. And I'm fortunate enough, I don't care about dairy. I've never been one that's been into dairy. So when I knew I had to get off of it, no big deal. So many people, they actually love, love dairy. I mean, it's like in every meal, you know, Mm and the cheese, the more the better. What is it about dairy that's a risk factor and it would be better not to have in our diet? I used to eat it all the time too. I used to be fat, just so you know. I can't even imagine. Yeah, I was. I was very fat. And one of the reasons is I didn't understand that when you eat a Cobb salad for lunch, it has cheese, bacon, chicken, avocado, and ranch dressing. It has the same calories and macronutrient makeup as if I'd had a Big Mac and French fries for lunch. Okay. No different, right? But I would say it's salad. I don't understand how come I keep outgrowing my clothes, right? But but here's the problem with dairy. Um, it contains estrogen and estrogen metabolites. That's the first problem. And most breast cancers are estrogen receptor positive. Ovarian cancer is estrogen receptor positive. And again, I've never had anybody with either of those cancers who said all that cheese eating, it was so worth it to me, right? The second problem is that dairy products are designed to help a baby cow grow to cow's milk is designed to help a baby cow who's born at 90 pounds grow to a 800 to 1000 pound animal in a very short period of time it increases the the um uh, level of igf1 insulin-like growth factor one in the bloodstream i wrote an article that was published in a european medical journal about this a couple three years ago and um igf1 is one of those things that when you're six years old and you're trying to turn into a grown-up you want to have higher levels of it but when you're 65 years old and you don't want to get breast cancer, you don't want high or any other form of cancer too. You don't want to have high levels. So it's just a risky food. And, um, and unfortunately people love it. It does taste great. And by the way, when people say, okay, I'm not going to eat it anymore. I'm, I understand. So I'm just going to go get the plant versions of the cheese. Well, that's okay for holidays and special occasions, but it has exactly the same amount of fat and calories. So you you don't have the estrogen, you don't have the IGF-1 um, uh, in, you know, increase in your bloodstream, but you can still be very, very overweight. And that's what happened to me when I first changed over to a more health-promoting diet. I went to the health food store and bought the same health food store versions of everything that I was eating. And my grocery bill was $400 a week. I gained 10 pounds. I thought this isn't working out. And then I learned how to eat food 
food right. in its original form. Right. Vegan cheese is treats. Broccoli is food. There's <laughs> a whole big difference between <laughs> and broccoli not smothered with vegan cheese is very tasty once you acquire the palate for it, right? Right. Absolutely. I talked about that the other day is that if we just go back to food in its natural state, mm-hmm. uh, we'd be surprised because we're so used to putting either on so many seasonings, salt, um, cheese. We just don't even know what things taste anymore. Or if you're used to processed foods, well, of course, you know, they've hired all the chemists to make it taste like, you know, X, Y, and Z. And it doesn't even taste that way in real life. So we've got to get our palate back to normal. That's right. for sure. All right, so let's do this. I will take one more minute for a sponsor. When we come back, I want to see if you have any um, news on any screening um, uh, that that has been, that's new or something that you recommend. I know we've talked about mammograms, um, but I've heard a little bit about screening, but uh, I'm not sure if it's really giving us any better results. So um, let me talk about ozonation. So um, ozonation is something that I've done almost four and a half, almost five years ago I started. And it's as easy as drinking 12 ounces or 16 ounces of ozonated water. So we talk about what can you do that's easy and start today. That's something that can, you can do because about 80% of Americans are dehydrated. They're not getting enough water. And I know some people say they don't like the taste of water. So ozonation is something that it's oxygen therapy and it has a multitude of benefits, including oxidizing toxins. It helps to fight, reduce inflammation, stimulates the immune system, kills cancer cells and microbes. It can also normalize hormones, excuse me, and enzyme production. It can optimize white blood cell counts. And that's when white blood cells are immune cells that are involved in warding off cancer and pathogens. And that's just to name a few. So boosting your immune system. A lot of you are familiar with it. Once COVID started, uh, people found out about ozonation. You can go to promolife.com, promolife.com forward slash spoonie. And that will get you that 10% off. And if you've never heard of ozonation, uh, that's okay. You can call them up, talk to someone. They all use it. They can point you in the right direction. And it literally is like one click and then they drop ship everything. So check it out, promolife.com forward slash Spoonie. Okay, so welcome back, everybody. We've got Dr. Pam Poppers here, and she's talking to us about her expertise in the health and wellness industry, which she has plenty of years and uh, experience with her uh, successful books and documentary series. Um, so let's talk about screening because so many women are confused about that. I I can tell where your philosophy is on mammograms. Um, I know when I started out this month, I talked a little bit about mammograms. And what's interesting is the research still says that mammograms are really the first and most uh, effective form of screening. And I was surprised because it, uh, I'm, you know, one of those who dense breast tissue. My cancer was not detected on at least eight years of mammograms. So I was found at stage four. Um, and we know why I've talked about that. And there's plenty of people, what one out of every two people who go get mammograms have dense breast tissue. And so we know mammograms aren't effective for that reason. So we're talking about 3D, we're talking about ultrasound, MRI, light therapy. What, what, what's your take on all that? Well, first of all, research does not show that mammograms are the, are the best. 
um, advertising shows um, and, and, and dogma. And it, one, one of the things that you'll find if you dig into medicine a lot is if you repeat the same thing over and over again, you can make people think it's true when it's not. We've seen a lot of that the last year and a half, actually. Right. Um, but I think we just have to be honest with people. I, I, honesty in medicine is such a wild idea, crazy talk when you start talking about this. We need to tell people, look, we don't have, other than cervical cancer screening, we do not have a way of saving your life through early detection. We don't have it for prostate cancer. We don't have it for breast cancer, for thyroid cancer, colon cancer. You know, there's not a single randomized controlled trial that has ever shown that you can reduce the risk of colon cancer through colonoscopy. Not one. All right. The Canadians took it off their list. So wow. here's the bottom line. If you can't find it early, you better start working on prevention. Okay. Now, when I say this, somebody will raise their hand in the audience and say, but my sister, her life was saved by a mammogram. Okay. Well, the chance of that happening is about one in two to 3,000. So how lucky are you feeling? Do you really want to put your, your trust in that, all your energy in that? Or do you think maybe you ought to take a step back and start looking at the things that we know you can take it to the bank, reduce your risk of cancer as much as humanly possible? There's no such thing as no risk, by the way. And part of what aggravates me about the screening business, if you will, is that it presents it as the risk-free, you're going to live to be 100 as long as you get your screening test all the time. It's not true. And just like nobody's going to tell you that there is zero risk associated with driving a car. So what do you do? You try to make sure your car is insured, good working order, you fasten your seatbelt, you watch the signals, you drive the speed limit, you look out for kids running in the street. And you could still get hit by a bus when you go to work today, right? So you understand there's no risk. There's no risk-free option here. But you have to take care of yourself. None of those screening tests are going to keep you from dying of breast cancer in all likelihood. You have a 1,999 to 1 chance of it not helping you, all right? So that should motivate you to focus on the things that will, what you eat, et cetera. Now, here is a screening test I do recommend. Sit down with yourself with a nice big blank piece of paper and do a personal inventory. How do I look? I'm not talking about, am I ready to be on the cover of a fashion magazine? I'm talking about, are you overweight? Do you have too much body fat? How muscular are you? Because that's a, an indication of the bone strength and, and your ability to live independently till you die, all right? What am I eating? Keep a food journal for five days. Take a look at it. Evaluate it yourself. You know, people come into my office and they go, you know what? I learned a lot keeping this food journal. I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm frankly shocked, you know. Right. Um, what about your exercise? What's your stress level? How much are you sleeping? Are you hydrated? Are you happy? You know, stress. You know, people don't understand the way you live your life is just as important as what you put in your mouth, you know. And, and then start working on that. That will keep you plenty busy. Absolutely. And it's much more effective than any screening tool anybody ever came up with. And um, and so that's where the focus needs to be. Yes. Very profound. You could sit down and, and, and write all that down in the time it would take you to drive to get to your test and wait for your test, have the test, you know, and come home. So it goes right back to what you said at the beginning. Many people think they don't have the time, but you really do. You've got to make time. Uh, those priorities that are very important. Your health is the most important. Once you lose it, not always can get it back. So... Nice. Um, I've enjoyed having you on today. Unfortunately, I know it has to come to an end. You've got about 30 seconds. Anything last uh, comments that you'd like to add? 
I, I think the thing I, I want to get home to drive home to people is health is the most important thing. I mean, we, we think everything's important. Everything is not equally important. If you don't have your health, there's not much else that matters. You can't enjoy any of the other things you think are important. So if you just get up every day and, and invest time in prevention, invest time in yourself, that's the that's the best message of all. And it's the best investment I've ever made. I've, I've been working for a year and a half, 20 hours a day without a day off. And the fact that I can do it at this age is great. Absolutely. People say, oh, you poor thing. I say, you know what? I've just demonstrated to myself the value of what I've been doing for the last 30 years. That right. That's dirty. The proof Yay. is in the pudding. You can say that. That's what that's I always say. The vegan pudding. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy birthday. We'll have to do a toast for you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having you on. This is the seditious, rabble-rousing, liberty-loving, home of fun, entertaining, and compelling talk. Mojo 5